So where she's buried is in a what was a field, but it's now been returned to woodland, which is really nice because that's what it used to be. And then within that, you are allowed to bury your loved one. We chose a wicker basket for her because that seemed really nice and something she again she would like it looked really nice as well and had flowers on top um, and where she's buried she's allowed to have wild flowers as well as a tree so the tree denotes where she is if you like and a little slate uh, plaque but it's a flat plaque so it doesn't overwhelm the whole site and the whole site looks like a woodland is it'll be a, a a woodland site and that was part of mum's belief returning the cycle of life from birth to death and around again julia longfist talking about the natural burial of her mother in the west of england just one of thousands of so-called natural burials which take place across the united kingdom every year the UK has been a leader in the natural burial movement since the 1990s. More and more Britons shun a traditional burial or cremation in favour of a more ecologically friendly send-off. My name is Rosie Inman-Cook and I'm the manager at the Natural Death Centre Charity and I also manage the Association of Natural Burial Grounds. Rosie's been in what she calls the death business for over 20 years. My old dad, who's since died, used to say, oh, when I'm gone, stick me at the bottom of the garden and plant an apple tree on top of me. So whilst I was looking into the actual legality and feasibility of doing that, I came across the very new natural burial ground movement in the UK and was inspired and set my own up. People are buried in the ground without being embalmed, they choose coffins made of wicker, willow, bamboo or cardboard, or even just a biodegradable shroud made of fabric. The burial sites are usually in the countryside. Rosie chose a beautiful spot in the south of England. My first site, which is called the South Downs Natural Burial Site, is in Hampshire. It's up on the Chalk Downland. Um, it had been owned and operated by the Navy for many years and had, in the 1970s, had a, a plantation of beech and fir trees, which had been just abandoned and neglected. So we cleared out the, um, some of the, the sicker trees and uh, used those areas for the burials and then planted native broadleaf on top of the burials. Knowing that you're in a lovely place, and that your legacy is supporting and protecting a little bit of land that can't be developed for anything else, then woodland burial grounds are more protected than any other form of cemetery because usually they're rural, so there's less pressure on the land. And if you're planting trees and you're creating a wildlife reserve, essentially, then hopefully it'll get designated and gain over the decades, gain even more protection as unusual species of flora and flora move in. It sounds like a win-win. Making a field of woodland into a cemetery protects the land, and nature can benefit from natural degradation without chemicals. The first natural burial ground was set up by a local authority cemetery manager, Ken West, in Carlisle, in the north of England, in 1993. He was concerned that traditional cemeteries were often wasteful and not helpful to the wildlife living in graveyards. In the mid-1990s, 1994, 5, 6, that kind of period, 
for the first time in the UK what we now loosely call natural burial, ecological burial, green burial, woodland burial. Professor Douglas Davis is a professor in the study of religion at Durham University and also director of Durham's Centre for Death and Life Studies. The practice of burying people perhaps just in a field, not with a headstone, not necessarily with, and then increasingly certainly not with, uh, traditional coffins that are going to stay there for ages, but with biodegradable coffins or body containers, this started in a very slow way. We now have probably something like 350, 360 natural woodland, ecological green burial sites in the UK. And we're now in 2021, and this only started in the 1990s. This is a very rapid piece of social change. Unlike many other countries in Europe, Professor Davis says the UK has a more relaxed approach to where people can be buried. Natural burial sites can be owned by local authorities, charities, funeral directors or landowners. They're largely unregulated. Well, it's partly about law and it's about people's, <laughs> about people's response to law. There's a sense in which in Sweden, for example, Germany too, Legislation can be strong. What you can and cannot do with cremated remains is much more socially uh, entrenched. For reasons that have yet really to be written up, I think, the British, from that 1970s, 80s, 90s period on, I don't know how to describe it. To describe the British as lawless is perhaps not the wisest thing to say. To, to see the British as open to choice as to what they did with their dead remains, perhaps is a better way of putting it, but they just did. Rosie Inman Cook explains how the process works in the UK. Well, in the UK, what you need is planning permission for the change of use of your land from agricultural or forestry or a garden or amenity land to a cemetery and specifically to a green cemetery. You have to jump through various hoops and, and get across all sorts of hurdles put in, in, in your way by interested parties, whether it's highways, archaeology, the Environment Agency wanting to know that you're not going to contaminate the groundwater with the what they refer to as the products of decay. And um, yeah, so it's not easy, but we, we get a handful through planning every year, so the numbers is growing in the UK all the time. Where I live in Germany, ashes from cremations can be interred in woodland areas, but natural burials aren't permitted. There are a few sites in the Netherlands, Belgium and Ireland, but I'm interested to know why the movement caught on so much in Britain. Professor Davis explains. We were observing people who, yes indeed, were thinking of nature, who were thinking of the natural environment, who were wanting to be part of that, giving their body back to nature, if you like, becoming part of it. I think this fits in with British attitudes towards gardening, to the natural world, to birds, the trees, to the natural environment in a, in a broad sense of, of natural environment are wanting to be in there rather than in, as one person who spoke about it was said, rather than in the, the dry as dust context of cemeteries. 
national churchyards because there is this kind of living dynamic to these sites because this was not a government down movement this was a people forgive the pun but grassroots up movement of attitudes in Britain before uh, environmental ecological drivers were really hitting the public world For centuries, burials were the only option in Europe. It took decades to make cremation by flame an acceptable option for the church, state and the public. But as the green movement has gained ground all over Europe, there are more and more concerns about the environmental impact of cremation. For one, it requires a lot of energy. High temperatures of 750 degrees Celsius, the release of high levels of carbon dioxide, and some escape of toxic materials, such as mercury in tooth fillings or plastics from implants, which are sometimes burned in the process. Traditional burials have their own environmental issues. Coffins using non-biodegradable materials, and in many European countries, a lack of cemetery space is a real concern. Professor Davis says the funeral industry is having to become more aware of these environmental issues. This very year, 2021, is being taken up by funeral companies and groups like the Federation of Burial and Cremation Authorities in the UK, British Cremation Society, other groups as well of independent funeral people. They're picking up, responding to and beginning to appropriate I stress beginning, because these are early days, the issues of environmentalism. What's the carbon footprint of death? Or then if, even if you're wanting to choose bamboo coffins, which on one, from one perspective would seem very eco-friendly. But what if you're fetching them halfway across the world as well? So this idea of the, a total inventory of funeral elements is now coming onto the agenda in a very significant way. At the same time, other ways of dealing with the corpse are coming on board, which also have a carbon footprint hallmark to the concern with them. One of them, perhaps the major one, is a chemical process of dissolving the human body in alkaline solution under pressure, alkaline hydrolysis. Often, it, this is sometimes referred to under the, the, the trade name of resumation. Resumation is a process being considered in many places, in Europe, by the Netherlands, and Ireland in particular. It's already used in some states in the United States as a more environmentally friendly option than traditional burial or flame cremation. Sandy Sullivan is the founder and director of a company called Resumation. It won the UK Observer newspaper Big Idea Ethical Award in 2010. We market this process as water cremation. So instead of reducing the body to ash quickly using flame, we do it using water. It's a hydrolysis process. You get bones and then ash at the end of it, and it's given back just like with flame cremation. So the similarities with flame are quite amazing. The big difference is that ours is much more environmentally friendly. I'm in favor of flame as well because flame has served the public well, it served the environment well in saving land for the living, okay, for 150 years. And it continues to do that. However, 
with our current situation with climate change, it does carry an environmental burden in terms of high CO2, high NOx emissions and various other dioxins and mercury. And it's, it's, it's quite a dirty process and that's the reality of it. Why would someone choose resumation rather than natural burial? So when you say natural, you're burying all of these things. Could be implants with mercury, uh, sorry, um, alkaline batteries in them. It could be you know, the dental amalgam, which has mercury in them. Eventually it will eat, eat out. Um, they could have had chemotherapy. So you have these chemotherapeutic drugs, which are carcinogenic, being buried in the soil. So there's some things to think about when you talk about how natural it actually is. A resumation machine costs around 380,000 euros, but Sandy says he's sold more machines in the last six months than he has in the last 10 years, though in many places they're yet to get legal approval. The process uses a strong alkaline, often potassium hydroxide, to help break the body down. You're left with the, the bones, which are pure white, and since we use like a woolen coffin, or a woolen shroud, whatever, there's no wood, ash there, and you will get a number of implants, whatever doctors have put into you during your life, you'll see them there on the tray at the end of it. All your soft tissues become a water-like liquid. It's of water consistency, it's kind of key-coloured, it's sterile, and there's no DNA. We borrow the elements that I mentioned, the building blocks that make us, and nature intended that we give them back when we're buried and our process gives them back. And I chose the name for the company, Resomation. Resoma is Latin Greek for rebirth of the human body. Uh, zoma being body in Greek, but Rizoma is Latin Greek for rebirth of the human body. It goes to the water treatment plant. The water is purified, goes back into the river and round the water cycle, like happens with burial and cremation, no different. Um, the difference is the nutrients from the body are collected in the water treatment plant, made into fertilizer, land applied, and creating life. Rebirth of the human body in a different form. And there are other systems being developed all the time to try and reduce the carbon footprint of death. In 2019, Washington State in Northwest America became the first place in the world to legalize what's known as natural organic reduction bodies are turned into soil in around a month. The company Recompose opened its first facility called The Greenhouse in December 2020. Anne Swenson from the company describes how the process works. We have these 10 stainless steel vessels which is where the transformation into soil takes place. So each vessel is about four feet high and 10 feet long and we place each body inside a vessel with wood chips, alfalfa, and straw. And over 30 days, that body transforms into soil that looks just like soil amendment that you would get at a garden store. And it breaks down pharmaceuticals. It breaks down any chemotherapy that might be in the body at the time of death. Even bones and teeth are transformed. And the reason that it takes place in that fast of a timeline is because we monitor levels of oxygen, levels of moisture. It's inspired by the process that takes place on the forest floor. We just help it happen as fast as it possibly can. 
Microbes on the body and biodegradable material break down the body, which reaches a temperature of 55 degrees Celsius. Those who have been recomposed ask that their soil is used in family gardens or around favored trees where their grandchildren play, or to cultivate land the deceased tendered their whole lives. You know, we've heard from some religious groups that they are okay with this process for their community. Um, we've heard from a couple religious groups that they're not that okay with it, but that influence was not hugely impactful, at least on the legislature. So that was a reason that we were able to get this through. Um, there's a lot of scientists here, there's a lot of environmentalists, and people were really willing to put in the work to make this possible. Recompose hopes that their concept will catch on in other U.S. states and have had lots of interest internationally. They're appealing to people who want to reduce their carbon footprint even after death. Each person who chooses natural organic reduction, which is the legal term for what Recompose does, every person who chooses natural organic reduction over conventional burial or cremation saves one metric ton of carbon dioxide from entering the environment. Our process uses one-eighth the energy that conventional cremation does. Restimation or alkaline hydrolysis also uses one-eighth the energy. And most of where that carbon and energy savings comes from is the amount of fossil gas that is used in a flame-based cremation. It's the equivalent of about 40 backyard propane containers that you might use for a barbecue, 40 of them for each person that has to be cremated. So it adds up quickly. Um, some people say, you know, is your process carbon negative? And no, with like the building still has electricity and, you know, we're still driving around soil and that kind of thing. So there, we do use some energy, but it is so much profoundly less than what um, what the most available options use. And when you start thinking of it cumulatively, you know, we've turned about 30 bodies into soil so far, and we have over 700 people who have chosen this for their future choice. So that starts to be 700 plus metric tons of carbon dioxide diverted. As this starts to expand, it really starts to be more impactful on climate change. Another process which hopes to gain legal approval in the U.S. and elsewhere is promission. Bodies are freeze-dried before being turned into compost. Rachel Caldwell is a funeral director and embalmer in Kansas who is promoting the process with a company called Promessa. There's five basic steps. Um, the first one is cryogenic freezing. This is with liquid nitrogen. Following that is a short vibration that only lasts about one minute. After that is freeze drying. So that's the part where we're removing all of the moisture. Uh, and then is metal separation. Um, that also happens, you know, during cremation, take everything out that, you know, doesn't need to be there. And then the final step is filling and burial. And this is done in a biodegradable container. And that's where the remains will fully turn to soil within six to 18 months. That's a part of the um, process where the carbon sequestration occurs. You know, this is a carbon capture technology. And so we believe in donating and going full circle. And that's the process. It's pretty simple. It's, you know, something we see as no, you know, ick factor like some other methods. 
and again, you know, completely eco-friendly. The method was developed by a Swedish biologist called Suzanne Vigmasik, who died in 2020. It has supporters all over the world, but is still awaiting legal approval in the U.S. In some places, religious rules would make an option other than traditional burial or flame cremation unacceptable. People are becoming a little bit more conscious of, of our carbon footprint, you know, because we already know how many gallons of embalming fluid we use or how many tons of steel and caskets or, you know, the concrete for the vaults. So those numbers are definitely there. And now we have opportunities to study the long-term effects because we have been embalming and burying for so long. Back here in Europe, we may also see some innovative and beautifully designed solutions to reducing our carbon footprint after life. The Capsula Mundi is a biodegradable coffin in the shape of a giant egg made by Italian designers Anna Titelli and Raoul Bretzel. We started designing a new coffin, but the new coffin was completely biodegradable and also we would like that the coffin could let people think about our um, relation with nature. And so the coffin is shaped like an egg, and, an egg and inside there is the body of the deceased person in a fetal position. So both the egg and the fetal position could recall the idea of uh, rebirth in some way. The body into the, the egg will biodegrade and so the transformation in uh, the mineralization of the process could be a nourishment for the tree that will be planted over the egg. The eggs are made in beautiful earth colors, like giant seeds ready to be planted in the earth, where a tree will be planted on top. Italian law doesn't yet permit them to be used in cemeteries, but the designers have had a lot of interest from overseas. The eggs now is um, produced by biodegradable plastics. From uh, uh, This plastic is made from uh, seasonal plants. So we experiment now the different um, industrial impact our object. In this um, line of production, we each egg is different than the other, and also in sand. Designer Anna Cittelli. Now there's one more ecological burial that caught my imagination and has actually been happening for centuries. This is a burial at sea. Many people are unaware of it, but the UK has five designated sites where sea burials are permitted around the islands. John Mackenzie runs a family business called Burials at Sea, which performs funerals from his boat, which is moored at Southampton on the South English coast. You've got a lovely calm sea. We've, we're given coordinates of where, we, where the licensed area for burial is. On the Isle of Wight, uh, Tennyson used to live and he wrote a poem called Crossing the Bar. And 
like to actually aim towards the centre point of these coordinates, which lines up directly with the online monument to, to Alfred Lord Tennyson. And a lot of people use this poem at the moment of committal because it's very, very poignant and uh, it works really well for people. And may there be no actual burial that took place yesterday was one of the warmest days in Britain that we've had uh, I think for 65 years and it really was a very happy occasion despite the circumstances of why people were there. John says burial at sea is a very ecological choice. Concrete is used to weigh down the coffin so it's not completely carbon neutral. It's a very simple softwood coffin, not containing any plastics, lead, copper or zinc and it really has a series of holes, some in fact is specified a minimum of 40-50 millimetre holes drilled throughout. The coordinates we're given to actually place the coffin, particularly our home base one which is off the needles, Island White, is about the size of 180 football pitches so there's plenty of space for us to go to. Although cremated ashes can be scattered at sea in many places across Europe, sea burials are not usually permitted. We've actually done two burials at sea for two German families. Uh, we've had inquiries from the Netherlands um, and I think we had one inquiry from, uh, from Spain. We've, and we've actually carried out a a burial for a American uh, who, in fact, she, she was a famous uh, crime writer and, in fact, in, featured a burial at sea in one of her novels. Uh, but uh, it's a variety of people and, uh, you know, we get roughly about 10, 10 hits a day on our website uh, and, in fact, it's surprising how many we get from abroad. I think it's, it's regulations why, why people look to come into the UK and surprisingly enough our, um, our authorities have been always helpful because we need three certificates, and that's a death certificate, a freedom from infection certificate and a coroner's certificate into the care of the coroner who in the area we work operate out of because A, they've been very helpful and B, um, it just simply seems to simplify the regulations for us. John McKenzie from the company burialsatsea.co.uk and that beautiful music was the spooky men's choral singing Crossing the Bar, the poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson. So I hope we've given you a look into the most ecological ways of dealing with death. If we're choosing to try and reduce our carbon footprint when we die, there are new options for us. In places where there is available land, natural burial is an option and other innovations are being developed all the time. Of course, some faiths have very clear rules about what is acceptable after death and these may take precedent over environmental concerns. And in some areas in Europe, burial places in cemeteries are being reused when no new spaces can be found. Let's finish with Rosie Inman-Cook from the Natural Death Centre Charity. I, I did a little calculation when I started 20 years ago, back from the mid-20th century. They had, they had a slogan which was, leave the land for the living. 
and that really hit a mark with a whole generation. The older generation now who are choosing cremation, they think they're making their socially responsible decision and that this is what they should do. That was before we realised about climate change and pollution and all the rest of it. So it's actually not the socially responsible thing to do anymore. We, you know, and back, back then, natural burial wasn't an option. But if we buried every single person who dies in the UK every year, now that's at the moment 700,000 because of COVID, but say well in excess of half a million people die every year. If we buried every single one of them, it would take 2,000 years to use up the same amount of space as farmers used to have as set aside. And that's 2,000 years, and in that time you could reuse that land over and over again. Mm -hmm.